My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this is the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. This podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. I pray that as you listen to them, they will be a blessing to you and strengthen you in your walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. This morning we'll be preaching primarily from the text that we heard from 2 Samuel as well as the Gospel according to St. Luke. My sermon title this morning is The House of the Lord. These past few weeks of Advent, we looked at the theme of preparation for the coming of the Lord. We focused on how we are to live in light of this, lives of holiness and godliness. We talked about being sanctified and blameless. We talked about the expectation that we should be living in a manner that pleases God, doing what he's asked us to do in church and outside as well. And this is necessary, brothers and sisters, because this is what salvation does. This is what being justified before God does. It makes us right before God and allows us to walk in the strength he's given us as we journey in this life to receive our promised salvation. And today we see something very interesting in the text in Samuel, David's desire to build God a house and then God's response by building the house himself. In 2 Samuel, we see David at an interesting time in his reign. It says that he lived in his house. So he's reigning from Jerusalem. Like in the chapter before that, a whole bunch of stuff happened. He's, he's finally king. He's conquered Jerusalem. He's brought the Ark of the Covenant back from the hill country into Jerusalem, into the tabernacle. It says that his house is established. That means that his line, his monarchy, his rule, his reign over the people of both Israel and Judea, Judah is, is, is finally happened, right? Because we know that there was some infighting, right? Some of the remnants of Saul and that David's being promised the, by God the kingship and there was some conflict there. And ultimately, they kind of split apart from each other and then under the monarchy and the rule of David, they're finally brought together again. And he's living in his house, reigning. He is established and it says he has rest from his enemies, no one is troubling the kingdom, right? We read a lot about the Philistines and a bunch of the other enemies of, of Israel that David had to deal with during his rule and his reign at various points. Right now, no one is troubling. He's at rest. He's at peace. This is very rare for David. He's always in some type of battle and trouble. And we've seen him in his journey, right, going from a young shepherd boy to becoming a hardened soldier and now... A mighty king. And the text tells us that God has been with him and has given him victory after victory after victory. And now after all of this stuff has finally happened to him, he's at rest. He doesn't have any enemies to speak of, like, like on the borders or trying to fight them at the moment. And he's, he's ruling and reigning from Jerusalem, the holy city. He finally has a couple of moments to himself to reflect. And he thinks, I live in a wooden house. But the ark of the Lord dwells in a tent. Unspoken thing being, maybe I should build God a nice house. It's called the HGTV people. It's called David Jenny Mars or something. Let's get God a nice, a nice little house here with those touches that everybody loves, right? Nathan the prophet goes, God has been with you. So this sounds like a really good idea. Up to this point, yes, God has been with him. So Nathan the prophet's like, you want to build God a house? Yeah. God's done. He's helped you. He helped you kill Goliath. He's helped you fight the Philistines, all your other enemies. He's given you the kingdom. 
yes, this is a good thing. And it is. Because David realizes that God is worthy of more. He's worthy of everything that we have. And this is a good impulse, brothers and sisters. But then we also have to ask ourselves, well, what could be wrong with an impulse like this? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because one of the, the, the things that could go wrong with an impulse like this is the possibility of being seen as tra transactional, right? God has done this. And because God has done this for me, I will do this for him. And if I can do this for him, then God will do this for me. And if God does this for me, then I can do this for him. And so on and so on and so on, right? This transactional idea, which is not a Christian idea. It's actually a very pagan idea. In other words, it kind of puts God in your debt. And if there's anything that we cannot do, it's put God in our debt. And I'm not saying that's what's happening here, but I think this is a very real danger when it comes to something like this. The pride of looking at these beautiful things we've done for God, that God has helped us accomplish, that God has done for us, could and does lead people to the idea that God owes us something. And then something bad happens. <laughs> yeah, right. I did this. I tithed regularly. I was in church. I had perfect attendance for 20 years. And then this bad thing happens. And it causes a disconnect. God, you owed me more than that. Well, that's not how any of this works. God says to Nathan, go and tell David, no. So then we ask ourselves, well, why? This very good impulse that, God ha that David has to please God, to as an act of love for God. God says no. And we find out why in the text. God says, I took you from the pasture to the princedom. Right? You were a nobody out shepherding, right? And now you're sitting here ruling and railing. You didn't do that. I did it. God says, I have been with you. I have cut off your enemies. In other words, all the fighting you did, yes, but I'm the one who gave you the victory. I'm the one who accomplished that for you. I'm the one who goes out before you. And then God says, I will make you great. Because I think it's sort of a hidden impulse here. It's this idea that God will, uh, that David will, if he builds him a house, can make God great. God's like, I'm already great, bro. In fact, I'm going to make you great. I'm going to do it. And then God says, I will make a place for Israel. And you're like, what are you, what are you talking about, God? <laughs> What's going on here? This seems like it's escalated, escalated a little bit. God says, I will give you rest from your enemies. And then he says, I will make you a house. David's like, God, I'm going to build you a house. And God's like, no, no. I'm going to build you a house. He says this. God says in 2 Samuel 7, verse 12 to 13, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. But I thought God just said he was going to build the house. He is. But then he tells David, you're going to have an offspring who is going to build your house. Normally when we read this, we think, who do you think this is? 
Well, yeah, right? We think it's Solomon because in the story we know what happens, right? What does Solomon do after David dies and he becomes king? He builds the temple. And we know the story, right? If we've read, you know, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, and everything, like Solomon, David dies, Solomon builds the temple, he has his dedication ceremony, and then the Spirit of the Lord comes, and, and you know, we know the story of Solomon. But this isn't necessarily a reference to Solomon. I think it is at one level, but at another level, it's, it's not. Because when we think about the life of Solomon and what Solomon did, did Solomon keep the kingdom after David died and he ruled and reigned for a while? No, Solomon does not get, keep the kingdom together. He does not have a united kingdom. In fact, so right after David dies, Solomon reigns for a long time, builds a temple, and that's great and everything. But then Solomon gets carried away by idolatry and by sin. And what happens? Ten tribes are taken away from him. The kingdom is split, Israel and Judah. And David's family reigns over Judah. And then um, I think Jeroboam, he reigns over the other ten tribes of Israel. It's not an eternal kingdom. It's not an eternal kingdom. And God says, your throne, David, will be forever. And Solomon falls to idolatry and sin. This is speaking here to Jesus. This is speaking of Jesus. So in other words, nothing that we can do for God, nothing we can do for God in some ways because, well, let's put it this way. If everything good we have comes from him, then what can we do, <laughs> right? Because he will make his own name great. And I think what only David could do in response to this is, is what he does. He continues to be faithful to God and he prepares for the future. And we know in the story that David's like, all right, God says no. So David doesn't disobey. But what he does is he starts to prepare. Because he has it in his mind that his heir is going to, to, to build a house for the Lord. Which is interesting. God actually doesn't tell David to do that. And God actually doesn't even tell Solomon to build him a temple. But the, that's another story for another time. But David, in light of God's instruction, obeys and prepares. Then we have the reading from the Gospel according to St. Luke. And you might be thinking to yourself, why is this reading from 2 Samuel paired with the Annunciation? That's the text that we heard read this morning. The angel Gabriel coming to the Blessed Virgin, telling her of God's plan. Because we've said that Jesus is the one that Nathan the prophet is referring to. And we see Jesus as the fulfillment of God's promise to build a house from himself through David. And we have to remember something important in the story of the Annunciation when the angel comes to the virgin is that is David ruling and reigning at this time? Or is any of his ancestors ruling and reigning at this time over the house of Israel, over the house of Jacob? No. Who's ruling and reigning? Rome. Right? So at this time, Caesar Augustus. He's the one ruling and reigning over, all, over this, right? But who locally even is ruling and reigning over them? Herod. Is Herod a descendant of David? No. Herod's just some guy who, who money and power got his way and he's a puppet de facto kind of ruler of the area because that's how it worked in the ancient Rome. You could, you could apply for and pay for positions and so that's likely what he's done, him and his family. So he's a puppet of Rome. Not a descendant of David, not a descendant from Solomon, a puppet of the Romans. So imagine how this news would sound to Mary. These 
promises that God made to David of the eternal kingdom are coming true. We, and, and this would be shocking, right? Because from her perspective, maybe, and maybe from our perspective as readers of Scripture, up until this point, it looks like the promise to David has not been fulfilled. That God has forgotten or overlooked or has, has not kept his promise. Because at this point in their history, all they know is destruction and reconstruction. And they're longing for the Messiah. They had been exiled to Babylon. The ten tribes of Israel had been completely destroyed. And, and, the, the, and Judah, right? The last two tribes together, they had been kept and had been preserved. Longing. There's this longing for the Messiah, this, the Christ, the anointed one by God from the Davidic line. And the angel Gabriel visits Mary, a young woman at this point, and declares that she is highly favored, that God has favored her with grace. He says to her, the Lord is with you. In some texts they add, in some manuscripts, and blessed are you among women. And the angel Gabriel says, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Right? He's going to be called the Son of the Most High. Remember what we heard in 2 Samuel 7, 12-13. I will raise up your offspring who will come from your body. I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. This is it. This is the fulfillment here in Luke chapter 1 verse 32 of 33 of what we heard read in 2 Samuel. That her son is both the son of the Most High and the son of David. That his rule will be eternal and his kingdom will be eternal. That he will rule over the house of Jacob. Jacob is the, the name before his name was changed to Israel. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, one of the patriarchs. St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 25, he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And reigning involves ensuring rest from enemies for your people as king. Jesus is coming to do exactly that. Jesus is coming to give us peace from our enemies. He's coming to establish his house. Our great enemies, sin, death, and Satan and the evil spiritual forces in the world that are in rebellion against God. Jesus is coming to do battle against them and to give us rest from our enemies and to destroy our ancient enemies. And Mary asks, how can this be? I'm a young, unmarried, untouched woman. And keep in mind, she'll have known in the stories of the Torah, right? We have, we have figure after figure in the Hebrew scriptures of miraculous pregnancies. Women like, well, like Sarah. Sarah. When God tells Sarah she's going to have a child, what does Sarah do? Does she say, yeah, you're right, God. What does she do? She laughs. And God's like, you think that's funny? That's going to be his name. <laughs> Laughter. There you go. And she does. We have the story of Hannah, Samuel's mother, is barren, unable to have children. She goes and she's prostrating herself before the Lord at the tabernacle in such a deep prayer that she's in such emotional turmoil, spiritual turmoil, she can't even speak. And the priest comes to her, thinks she's drunk and tries to kick her out. And they talk and God, and he blesses her. And she's able to have a miraculous child. And that child is Samuel. 
and Samuel will go on to anoint David. We have these stories of miraculous births in the Bible, and Mary herself would have known these stories because this is the context she grew up in. But this is something wholly different than those stories. Because as she says, I've never known a man. Her son will be the son of God and the son of man. The angel tells her the Holy Spirit will overshadow you, right? So divine, not human origin, right? God is the one doing this. God is the initiator. God is the one who will build his house through her. And she responds, let it be to me according to your word. And when we look at all of these stories and texts about God building a house, God is the initiator of salvation, not us. Everything good we have is his gift of grace to us. There's nothing we can do to manipulate God. There's no transactional relationship we have with God that can make him do what we want. There's nothing we can do to have, put God in our debt. Everything that we have comes from his hand. Everything good comes from his hand. We cannot get him to favor us or grace us. But he does because he loves us. And he has already favored us. And the promise of God sometimes might to us seem dormant or it might seem like it's never going to happen. But as we see, God does not break his promises. God keeps his promises. And guess what? God is still building a house. God is still building the house. The house that Christ rules and reigns over is still being built. This is language we see in the New Testament. St. Paul uses it. He says, I think in 1 Corinthians, he talks to them and he says that God, he calls them God's field, but then he also says you are God's building. That God is building you. We as the church are God's house. We are the kingdom that Christ rules and reigns from and through. God, and God is building it. Right? Just as the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary, so the Holy Spirit is given to us. Just as the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary to became pregnant with our Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit is given to us. And salvation is given to us in the waters of baptism, where Christ comes to live in our hearts and regenerates our hearts, St. Paul says in Titus. Her humility and obedience is our example. Let it be to me according to your word. Her humility and obedience is our model. Let it be to me according to your word. Her humility and obedience is to be our own humility and obedience. And as we follow her example and in her footsteps, as her humility and obedience to the Lord, as her yes to the Lord brings forth the coming of the Savior into the world and the beginning of God building his house. As St. John Wright says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Right, That word dwelt is tabernacle. The word became flesh and lived among us. We are all being built up together into that house. And as we follow her example of her humility and obedience, and may her footsteps be our faithfulness. And may her obedience be our own. 
and may it lead us to our own salvation and a life of grace and peace as we work for the building up of the house of the Lord as we await his coming in glory both at Christmas time and in the age to come in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit Amen Thanks for listening to the sermon podcast for Zion Stone Church. I'm Reverend Mike Lantzman, and I'd like to extend to you an invitation, if you're ever in our area, to please worship with us Sunday mornings at 1015. If you'd like to get a hold of me, or would like some information about the church, or just have some questions, feel free to reach out to us on our Facebook page or via email. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.